millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, December 19th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and for Karen Brown, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the House votes to impeach President Trump. We hear from the Mississippi House delegation. Then, Guntown was one of the many Mississippi towns profoundly affected by the latest severe weather. We talk to the mayor, and a recent legislative peer committee report reveals increased wait times at driver service offices. Plus, book club with Smitty Harris. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The House of Representatives has impeached President Donald Trump. On Wednesday night, the House voted in favor of two articles of impeachment against the president, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Congressman Stephen Palazzo, a Republican, was one of three Mississippi Republicans who voted against the articles. He tells MPB's Michael Guidry why. You know, the Democrats, um, they they put up liberal professors and providing their opinions on why they think this president should be impeached. None of the witnesses had firsthand knowledge. They weren't in the room. The transcript speaks for itself. Uh, The only abuse of power and obstruction of justice that I've seen has come from Pelosi and the House Democrats, not not allowing a fair process, intimidating witnesses, and um, just, again, uh, not not allowing, um, you know, the equal opportunity for both sides to conduct an impeachment inquiry, uh, I think the way the American people expected and way past historical precedences, um, you know, were, were, were there for them to do this. Uh, so absolutely, I'm, I am opposed to uh, the articles of impeachment, and I'm looking forward to, you know, getting this behind us, not just in the House, but also in the Senate. So the American people, your government and uh, the American people can get back to work. You mentioned the transcript, and and both sides seem to point to this transcript. The Republicans point to this transcript and and says, well, look, there it is. You know, it's clear as day. No bribery, no quid pro quo. The Democrats, again, point to the transcript and say, 
here he is abusing the power of the presidency to kind of extort a favor from the from the Ukrainian president. How do you respond to your Democratic colleagues saying that this transcript alone that the White House released indicates that the president was using his position in an inappropriate manner? Yeah, well, that's your opinion. And um, I don't think the transcript really says that the, the president has a, pre, a, 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 a constitutional responsibility to execute the laws of this nation. And one of those laws is to root out corruption and make sure corruption is not going to countries that are receiving foreign aid. Now, I know previous administrations really didn't take a strong, strong, a strong stance on that. But part of his promises, he said he's going to review all foreign aid. If we're going to give deadly ammunition and arms to a foreign country, uh, we need to make sure that this foreign aid is, A, going to be used in a responsible and ethical manner, and, two, that they have met the, the laws of our, you know, and the requirements of receiving foreign aid. Congressman Michael Gass made his case on the House floor during the allocated debate time. As a former prosecutor, I am confident that no court would accept these articles of impeachment as having met the standards set forth by our founding fathers. The impeachment articles rely almost exclusively on hearsay and opinion testimony, and they present no direct evidence of wrongdoing. As a former district attorney, I am dismayed that the Democrats have submitted articles of impeachment against a sitting president using circumstantial evidence that fails to offer proof of an impeachable offense. Additionally, the charges levied against the president in the articles of impeachment lack historical precedent and are motivated by pure political reason. If the House of Representatives passes the articles of impeachment, the Democrats will have set a dangerous precedent by undoing America's votes for president because a single party disagreed with the 2016 presidential election results. Representative Benny Thompson, Mississippi's lone Democrat in Congress, rose to state why he supported impeachment. Democrats are not supporting impeachment based on a policy disagreement or the election results of 2016. No one is above the law. The president must be held accountable. A constitutional process is not a hoax or witch hunt. President Trump just opposes it. No one is above the law, not even President Donald J. Trump. The president abused his power by pressuring Ukraine to help his re-election campaign. Impeachment is a constitutional remedy for these actions. Trump betrayed his oath, betrayed the Constitution, and undermined the integrity of our elections. Those who are against the impeachment inquiry are willing to turn a blind eye to constitutional violations by the president. As a nation, we have no other alternative. We must protect our Constitution and the United States of America. In his own words, no intelligent person believes what he is saying. The articles will now go before the Senate for a trial. Senator Roger Wicker will be one of 100 senators serving as a juror in the decision of whether or not to remove the president from office. He released a statement in response to the House's vote. House Democrats made a historic mistake today by impeaching President Trump on a partisan basis and with little evidence. They've set a dangerous precedent. The truth is congressional Democrats have sought this result 
since the day Donald Trump was elected. Their effort has never been about the facts or accountability. It was always about politics and damaging a president they cannot tolerate. To justify their goal, they conducted an investigation without due process or even the pretense of fairness. Even still, they were able to put forward a flimsy case based only on hearsay and assumptions. These charges would not be admissible in any courtroom in America. But that did not matter to President Trump's detractors. Now this process comes to the Senate where the president will be treated fairly. I anticipate he will be acquitted and justice will be served. But significant damage has already been done. The founders of our nation gave Congress the power to impeach so that the executive branch could be held accountable. They intended it to be used only in extreme cases with clear evidence and overwhelming bipartisan approval. Speaker Pelosi supported this standard just a few months ago, but has now abandoned it. Today, the House has abused their solemn responsibility. As a part of the trial proceedings in the Senate, all senators will be required to take an oath affirming that they will, quote, do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws, unquote. Coming up, Guntown was one of the many Mississippi towns profoundly impacted by the latest severe weather. We talked to the mayor. Coming up, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you like to be super prepared, the next autocorrect is for you. We'll go through getting ready for a road trip so you're covered for most any problem the highway and Mother Nature might throw at you. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, will be on hand to answer your vehicle repair questions. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. MEMA reports that 15 tornadoes were confirmed in Mississippi during Monday's severe weather. One of those tornadoes was an F an F2 that affected parts of Lee County. Bud Herring is the mayor of Guntown in that county. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance about the storm's immediate effect. We've uh in the process of uh, determining the amount of damage, you know, everybody's got their insurance companies, adjusters out, and uh, emergency management's out looking uh see what uh, steps we need to take as far as getting maybe state or federal help. And uh, have, y'all, have y'all been able to assess some of the damage so far? Do y'all have, like, an idea of how wide of scope the damage is? Well, uh, well it's all isolated to uh, one subdivision area or coat lane area. Uh, there's two, three different streets, but it seems like it went through there and sort of the middle of the of the subdivision. Uh, it went through, and you know how tornadoes are. There might be two or three on this side, not not affected, and one right next to it is. But uh, it's pretty extensive damage. I figure that at least uh, to some extent, probably. 75 houses have been affected, not all of them to a great extent, but, you know, total. And probably, uh, I guess, probably 30 or more, pretty extensive damage. And uh, I know the the reports on the – the reports I was reading online said that there were uh, a church that was destroyed. Yes, uh, there was. uh, There's a church that is completely gone. Nothing's left but the slab. And were there any injuries in the town? Uh, there were two minor injuries, I think, required stitches and, you know, for cuts. But that, that was all. We were very fortunate, very fortunate. And so 
after that, uh, after the tornado, what's the mood in the town today? Is everybody kind of shook up, or is everybody uh, okay? Yes, you go over there, and the people are getting back into their houses, seeing what they need to do, and you can tell people just uh, the look in their eyes. You know, it's just uh, this time of year too, and uh, people have lost a lot of the Christmas and everything in the houses. Some people, not everybody, but uh, it's sort of somber, somber mood today around. Now, I know it's still kind of early, but yes, do you all have any uh, plans of, like, how you're going to start rebuilding, how you're going to get back to hopefully normal? Uh, right now, we don't because, uh, like I say, we're just in the process of assessing the damage and seeing what we have to do to to uh, make sure everybody's taken care of that that is displaced and uh, that type of thing. I hope to be getting into that kind of work within the next few days. We set up the uh, emergency center, our community center, and uh, a church down the road had set up for their area. Anybody needed to come, but uh, really in this area, uh, everyone had family or friends they stayed with, so they weren't used that much. Uh, as far as being displaced uh, out of all those houses, maybe 20 or 30 of those were, but they had somewhere to go, most of them. And then uh, I know you were saying Christmas is up, coming up very soon, and how do you think this is going to be affecting that? Oh, I, I, I could just see the look in people's eyes, you know, especially ones who might have children that, that lost maybe the uh, Christmas presents. But we're setting up a, a drop-off place here. Uh, uh, people bring maybe Christmas presents or if they want to drop them off or anything like that. So uh, uh, it's going to be it's a shock to the people. It's a shock to, it's to, to all of us. But it's something that we're going to work through. And we're going to take care of our people. Coming up, a recent legislative peer committee report reveals increased wait times at driver service offices. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are the top 10 ways to listen to MPB Think Radio? Number 10, the iHeartRadio app. Number 9, TuneIn Radio. Number 8, Amazon Alexa. Number 7, Google Home. Number 6, Deezer. What's a Deezer? Number 5, Spotify. Number 4, Stitcher. Number 3, YouTube. To listen to a radio station? Yeah, all the kids do that now. Number 2, Apple. And the number one way to listen to MPB Think Radio? The MPB Public Media app. Free in the iTunes and Google Play Store. What about just over the radio in the car? Yeah, you can do that too. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The wait time for driver services at DMV offices in Mississippi has tripled between 2017 and 2019. That's according to a report from the Legislative Committee on Performance Evaluation and Expenditure Review, also known as PEER. James Barber is with PEER. He tells our Ashley Norwood that the committee has identified a number of factors that explain the increased wait times. Legislators uh, heard the same complaints that that average drivers did about how long it took to receive services at the DPS Bureau field offices, and that's why the peer committee authorized this project to take a look at the the situation. Uh, What we found is that essentially it was a perfect storm. Uh, The department had difficulty in filling examiner positions in the field offices, And at the same time, the department over the last several years has been trying to upgrade its computer system that is used for uh, driver management services within the Bureau. 
And one thing that, that we learned is the system is not designed just to meet the needs of Mississippi and its drivers. It also has to comply with federal mandates. Uh, for example, there is a requirement for motor voter. There are the federal requirements for real ID. And then there's also federal requirements for commercial driver's license. And again, those people travel throughout the states, and there has to be some uniform licensing of those individuals. And as a result of that, uh, the, the new system is rather unforgiving. So what does this mean um, for driver services in the state or for Mississippians as it compares to maybe other states? But, you know, just looking at the findings here and the challenges and the increased wait times, I mean, how, how significant is this report? I think it's very significant because the the staff at the Department of Public Safety was very cooperative with the peer committee staff as we undertook this project, and really it was a learning experience for DPS. For example, some of the information on the department's website was not correct or, or wasn't complete, and they have had that pointed out to them. And they've taken steps to improve the information that's available to the to the driver so that they can receive services in a timely manner. So I, I think the department has embraced the findings and the recommendations in the report, and I think you'll see services improve. So are, are those challenges unique to Mississippi, or have you noticed that this could be a nationwide issue? The, the conclusions that we have in the report, to some degree, are unique to Mississippi because we did take a look at our contiguous states to see what kind of service delivery model those states have. And to be honest, they do a better job than Mississippi. Uh, they have driver services in some states located within county offices, uh, say the, the tax collector's office, so there are more locations for drivers to go to in other states to receive services. And their websites were better. They provided more information as to what type documents were needed uh, if a person needed to renew or to get a new license or something like that. So we think that we can learn some uh, efficiencies from our sister states and again, the department realizes that maybe their model is a little outdated and needs to be improved. James Barber is with the Mississippi Legislative Peer Committee. Coming up, Book Club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. In 1965, Air Force pilot Captain Carlisle Smitty Harris was shot down over Vietnam. Harris spent the next eight years as a POW subjected to torture, interrogation, isolation, and other abuses. One of the only things they gave the prisoners hope was a form of nonverbal communication that wasn't detected by their captors. 
Colonel Harris introduced POWs to the TAP code, who taught it to others, and a network of connection was born. Harris tells our Karen Brown about his capture and what followed. I was the sixth American POW in North Vietnam. Two of my buddies were shot down on the 3rd of April. I was shot down on the 4th of April, 1965. The North Vietnamese moved us around. They didn't seem to have a plan. At the Hanoi Hilton, they tried to keep us in solitary confinement. But when the numbers increased, they would open up another prison site. They moved us around almost randomly because of their poor planning. We did not stay in the Hanoi Hilton very long. The ways of communication in the prisons, the various prisons, was through a method that you brought. You're the reason why prisoners could communicate with one another, and that was with the TAP code. How did you learn the TAP code before you introduced it to others? Okay, I went through an escape and evasion school. It was a two-week program and telling us how to survive in the wild, and then they turned us loose in the wild in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and we had to survive on our own for about a week. But during those academic classes, one of the sergeants talked about in World War II, American POWs held by the Germans were able to communicate between buildings by tapping on a common water pipe. And just per chance, as I was walking out of the classroom, the sergeant who had been teaching the class was walking beside me. Innocently, I said, how did they send the dashes? And he says, oh, I should have explained. It was not the Morse code they were using. They were using a tap code. And he asked if I had a moment. And I said, yes. And we went to the chalkboard, and he drew it out for me. So it was just a chance encounter with an instructor there. And when I was in the Hanoi Hilton in solitary confinement, after about three months, I guess, I was pulled out and put in a cell, and there were four of us. And a fifth joined a little later. And so we were really tickled with that. And I taught them the tap code. And about a week later, they had us back in solitary confinement. We tried the tap code on our sub walls where we were held, and it worked. (laughs) And we knew then how important it was to have a unified approach to our captors and to support each other and pass information and so on. Uh, It made us kind of have pride in the unit rather than just relying on ourselves. Now, other prisoners, uh, they would be matched up with a new prisoner. They could teach them the code who could spread that way? Yes. We went to every extreme effort to make sure that every POW learned it. And as soon as someone learned it, they did the same. And it spread like a chain reaction almost because everyone knew how important communication would be to our survival We've found lots of different ways to pass it on. Voice, pieces of paper that we'd hide in a common wash area, and any other way that we could to make sure that everyone knew it. What are the elements of the TAP code? The TAP code is nothing but the alphabet. Everyone knows the alphabet. That's why it's so easy. The first line is A, B, C, D, E. The second 
line is F-T-H-I-J. We did not use the letter K, so it was a five-by-five matrix of the alphabet. The first column identified the line. The A-F-L-Q-V was all you had to remember. And each one of those letters would indicate a line the letter you wanted to transmit was contained, say M. So we would tap AFL, pause, LM. It's that easy. You Now you know the tap code. The person on the other side of the wall, as soon as he recognized a word from context, he would tap twice and you would go on to the next. The sentences would be complete and there would just be a, a pause and he would recognize that was a sentence and you'd go on to the next one. How long were you a POW? I was there for seven years, 10 months, and some days. Colonel Carlisle Smitty Harris with Sarah W. Berry is the author of Tap Code, the epic survival tale of Vietnam POW and the secret code that changed everything. Colonel Harris, thank you very much for sharing part of your story with us. Well, I'm very happy to do so, and thanks for asking. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.